Okay, friends, while we are waiting for it to detect... Ah, okay, great. Ah, okay. We are in very, very uh, exciting times. Uh, I don't know to what extent uh, things will change within the next few hours. Very exciting, right? Uh, as far as I last know, lah, maybe I'm outdated already, but as far as I last know, 10.30 a.m. Uh, supposed to have uh, a new p.m. Okay, so what, what I want to uh, ask all of you, and uh, what I want to request of all of you, uh, is to remember that after 10.30 a.m. and whoever becomes p.m., uh, our God is still God, lah, okay? And our God still requires us to learn from Him uh, and to worship Him this morning. So I humbly request that you... I'm going to check your phone for the latest news during the sermon, lah, okay? Let God speak to you, okay? And then, after He has spoken to you, you look at the news in light of what He has said to you, Okay? Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, you are God. You are in control. We listen to you. And so, Lord, we ask that you guide my words, the words of my mouth. You guide the thoughts, meditations of our hearts. Lord, may we bring glory to you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last week, so far I preached three weeks in a row already. Are you getting bored of me yet? Uh, didn't plan it this way, lah, but uh, the past three weeks, we've sort of been continuing the, the overall story of Joseph to the, to the Exodus, jump a bit here and there. Last week, we looked at the Passover. We saw how the Israelites were delivered out of slavery into new life. Okay? So now they are in this new life where things are very uncertain. They don't know what to expect. All they knew was their life of slavery in Egypt. Okay? And so the context of today's passage is actually the Israelites adjusting to this new life. They're still getting to know who is this God. They're still getting to know how do they relate to this God? How does He work? What do they do in, uh, in, in response to how He works? Okay? And so, so far, God was showing them that He provides for them. Okay? So He provided a way out from slavery into uh, freedom. He provided a way through the Red Sea uh, into safety away from the pursuing Egyptian army. Uh, he provided manna, he provided quail, he uh, provided water from the rock. And so now they were being uh, attacked by Amalekites. And so what we can see from all these things is that particularly from this current attack from the Amalekites, that God allowed them to be in this vulnerable situation to teach them about who He is and how He works. Okay, remember, they are getting to know this God. And so He allows this situation where they are attacked by the Amalekites uh, to learn about who He is and how He works. Remember, two weeks ago, we saw how God can use others, uh, what they mean for harm, to be good. Right, uh, for greater good or for God's glory. Okay, so this is a bit of what is happening here. And the take-home lesson for us uh, today is that we experience victory when we take part 
in the Lord's battles. Okay? So forget if you forget everything, this is the one thing you remember, that we experience victory when we take part in the Lord's battles. Now, one thing is very clear. Uh, the battle is the Lord's. Okay, what do I mean by this? The Amalekites were not defeated purely by uh, military strength. Now, who are these Amalekites? They are actually grandchildren of Esau, uh, Amalek. They are descendants of the grandson of Esau, okay? Jacob and Esau, the red hairy guy. Uh, his grandson, Amalek, okay? So these are the descendants, Amalekites. And they were nomads. So they, they wandered around the wilderness. They camped here, move, 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 that sort of thing. Uh, and what happened is they, they came behind the Israelites, okay? We see later in Deuteronomy, uh, it mentions that that they attacked from behind. They initiated this attack. They attacked from behind. They got all the stragglers, so the old and the weak and whatever. And they attacked the Israelites while they were at rest in this refidim, which means rest. And so, when you're caught off guard like that, it's like a Pearl Harbor situation. Huh? When you're caught off guard like that, you can't suddenly just rally around and suddenly win the battle, no problem. So it was not military strength that won the Israelites this battle with the Amalekites. There was another factor, right? Moses held up his hands, and then the Israelites were winning. And then when he lowered his hands, the Israelites were losing and the Amalekites were winning. And so, remember, um, Moses is 80 years old at this point. How many of you are... Okay, no, no, I don't want, <laughs> don't want to do this. <laughs> imagine, imagine that you are 80 years old, okay? And then you hold up your hands all day, see whether tired or not. Okay, so Moses, uh, not just holding up his hands, uh, he is holding his staff, okay? Which is made of solid wood, not lightweight aluminium or carbon fiber or uh, fiberglass. And so his hands got tired, uh, right? So they got him a stone to sit on. They're like, oh, Moses, come, come, uh, sit. You already <laughs> have a seat. And then uh, Aaron and Hur, who is probably Moses' brother-in-law, Miriam's husband, uh, held up his hands until sunset. And then Joshua finally overwhelmed the Amalekites. It's very specific. It's not that they barely won the battle. Joshua overwhelmed with exceeding victory, overwhelmed the Amalekites. And so there's one common assumption in this text. Uh, and that, that common assumption is that Moses, when he was lifting his hands, this was a posture of prayer. Okay, that Moses was praying to God, and then the, the Israelites were winning, and then when he, uh, he stopped praying to God, the Israelites were losing. Now, the, the problem with this assumption is that, number one, prayer is not mentioned in this passage at all. Okay? Uh, number two, although lifting hands can be associated with prayer, yes, this, this can be a, a posture of prayer, uh, there is no reason for Moses to stop praying just because his hands got tired. Okay? He doesn't need to lift his hands just to pray. Uh, we know that prayer is not only about the physical posture. right? You can be praying while you drive, as long as your eyes are open. Okay? And so, lastly, 
the Hebrew word for, uh, that is translated as hands in our NIV, hands, the Hebrew word is actually singular, okay? So, Moses lifted up his hand, singular, the Israelites were winning. When he lowered his hand, singular, Amalekites were winning. So, why this focus on Moses' hand? Now, if you look at the crossing of the Red Sea, God tells Moses to raise his staff in his hand and part the waters. And then after that, uh, raise the hand with the staff again, and then the waters flow back. And then in providing water from the rock, which is the passage immediately before this one, today's passage, in providing water from the rock, God tells Moses, strike the rock with your staff, okay, then water come forth. And if you remember, many of the plagues that involved Moses uh, in, in telling the, the Pharaoh to let the Israelites go involved Moses' staff. Not just Moses, but also Aaron's staff. Okay? So the, the staff turned to snake. Uh, the, the, the staff raised the staff and then the Nile turned to blood. Uh, and then uh, raised the staff and then frogs will come upon the land. Uh, strike the ground with your staff, and then the dust will turn into gnats and flies and all that. Okay, so lots of this stuff thing, all right? So coming back to today's passage, I, I want to suggest to you that the, the focus is not on Moses' hands, but what is in his hands, which is his stuff. Or more specifically, according to verse 9, the stuff of God. Okay, it's called the staff of God. So where, this, where, where did Moses find this magic staff, this staff of God? Did he find it in a tomb of a forgotten king after evading all the traps, all the deadly traps? Wow, suddenly got treasure, this magic staff. Or did he find it in a dragon's lair? He had to like fight a dragon and then after that find the treasure, magic staff. Yes, sir. No, right? Okay, most of you would, would know that that's not the case. Where did he get this staff? It's his own, okay? It's the staff that he used even during his time as a shepherd. It was used to whack the wolves that come and uh, attack the sheep. It's used to guide the sheep along the way, okay? And so Moses' staff is an ordinary instrument that is used in an extraordinary way. It is just a piece of wood. <laughs> it didn't have any magical runes or anything on it. Uh, it, didn't, it wasn't like blessed in holy water or whatever. It's just an ordinary piece of wood used in an extraordinary way. And when God used it for His purposes, you could say that the staff became anointed. Okay? It became uh, identified and, and specialized for God's purposes. And so, the staff symbolizes the presence and power of God. For the Israelites, you have to remember that they saw all these things happening. They saw the miracle. They, they, they would have seen some of the plagues happening. Uh, they saw Moses parting the Red Sea. They saw the water coming from the rock. They saw the staff at work. Okay? They saw Moses using this staff. And so the association for the Israelites is this staff, every time it does something, something wonderful happens. God is symbolized by the presence, 
uh, God's presence and power is symbolized by that staff. Okay? And so the focus for the Israelites is not on how Moses was able to control the tide of war with his hands, like some sort of orchestra uh, conductor. The focus is on the visibility of what he is holding in his hands, which is the staff of God. And so that's why Moses names the altar that he built later after the battle as Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner, okay? And so if you remember uh, all the times that the, the, these rocks and altars and stones and places are given names, is when the people of, of God are discovering or, or being revealed to them a different aspect or a different characteristic of God. And so, for example, uh, Abraham, instead of sacrificing Isaac, the, the ram appeared with his horn, uh, caught in a ticket, whatever, and so sacrificed that one instead. And then he called that place, the Lord is my provider. Okay, because Abraham came to new God as his provider in that, at that point. Uh, other, other place, the uh, stone called Ebenezer, named Ebenezer, which means stone of help, because the Lord revealed to uh, this Samuel uh, as his helper at that point. Okay? And so on this day, the Lord revealed himself to the Israelites as their banner. Okay? The Lord is my banner. What's a banner? A banner is not our modern, like bunting like that, uh, cloth banner. Uh, where you put, oh, church camp, <laughs> that sort of thing. Not that kind of banner. The banner that Moses is talking about is a military banner. The thing that soldiers carry to war, you have one tall banner that shows everybody where your commander or where the heart of your army is. And so this is a rallying point that troops will look towards high above the battle to see whether to advance in battle or to retreat from battle or where it's going. Because you remember in a battlefield, okay, you haven't been in a battlefield. Uh, in a, okay, imagine you go and queue up for free KFC, okay? There's just a sea of people all around you, Kiasu Malaysians everywhere. You cannot see your friend uh, because there's just too many people. And then your friend raised their hand, Oi, I'm here! Uh, so a banner is a bit like that. In a battlefield, everybody is fighting. You just see people fighting. You don't know what, where is what. You don't know where is the enemy. You don't know where is your friend. All you can see is a fellow in front of you and around you. You see a banner. And the banner says, we are here. Go here. Whatever, that sort of thing. Okay? So, modern version uh, is like our tour guide. Law. <laughs> tour guide goes somewhere and then... Uh, the tour group is too big, they carry a flag. Uh, you see the flag, then you go and follow. Okay? And so the raised staff that Moses was holding acted as a banner. Okay? It is, this is a direct answer to Exodus chapter seven, uh, 17, verse 7, where the Israelites asked, is the Lord with us or not? That was their question at that point. Is God with us or not? And so Moses showed them, Nah, this is the staff of God. See, when He is here, you are winning. He is with you. Okay? So 
the raised staff is like a banner for them to see that God was with them. So, when they can see the staff, for the Israelites, lah, God is present. They cannot see the staff, for the Israelites, God was like not present for them. Now, remember, they were just getting to know God. Okay, so he, God used these symbols to teach them. Okay, if, if we associate something with the presence of God now is, of course, not very right lah, because we know that God is always present. Uh, but back then, they, they didn't have the whole wealth of Scripture and, and many, 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 many weeks of sermons and Bible studies uh, to, to teach them. So, saying the Lord is my banner is like saying I'm in God's army. Or it's like saying I fly His colors, I fight for Him. Now, don't misunderstand, uh, the Lord is my banner. He's not just my shield. He's not just my weapon. He's not just my tool. God is not the means to our ends. We, we can't just name and claim something and then because uh, I claim that God is with me, uh, so my objective will, will be achieved. God is not the means to our end. We cannot just invoke His name in whatever challenge that we are facing and expect victory. We cannot be in a business situation where we are hoping to cheat our business partner and then, God, I believe you are with me and so I will prevail and manage to cheat my partner. No, He doesn't fight for us if our agenda doesn't match His. So sometimes we have this songs uh, where the, the repeated chorus or bridge is something like, uh, God is on my side, God is on my side, God is on my side. I got a lot of problems singing that. And then in my heart, I will sing, I'm on your side, I'm on your side, I'm on your side. Okay, so I would suggest that the Israelites didn't win their battle with God's help. God won the battle for the Israelites. That's the difference. Let me repeat that, huh? The Israelites didn't win their battle with God's help, but God won the battle for the Israelites because it was consistent with His battle, okay? Now, we see this difference this, in the contrast between Israel's first military battle and their second military battle. Their first one is today's passage, uh, Exodus 17, 8 to 15, battle with the Amalekites, Okay? Their second military battle recorded is in Numbers 14, 40 to 45. And the situation in this second battle, what preceded that battle, is the 12 spies who go to survey the land of Canaan. You remember that story? Uh, the 12 spies went to look at the land of Canaan that they were to enter and possess. And so they had 10 spies plus Joseph, uh, Joseph Joshua, and Caleb, right? And so, uh, Joshua and Caleb came back and they gave a good report. And so they asked, hey, can take this land? Ah? How is it? And then uh, Joshua and Caleb went, Ehel, uh, <laughs> can take, no problem. The Lord is with us, Ehel. And then the other ten said, Ehel, cannot. Uh, all these people are like giants, lah. we look like grasshoppers, lah. cannot one. Okay? And so God said, okay, fine. You say one, uh, you don't enter, law. whole generation die. Uh, none of them will enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. 
And so the people at that point regretted their, their rebellion and then they, they presumed that, okay, 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 we repent, now we go and fight. Uh, but at that point, Moses told them, no, it's too late, don't go, you will get slaughtered, uh, you will not win, the Lord is not with you. But they went up anyway, they went to the highest point in the hill country to claim Canaan, but then they gonna whack back, okay? They got defeated, they got pushed back by Amalekites and Canaanites as well. And so their second military battle, which is their first defeat in their recorded history, is also against Amalekites. Their first victory against Amalekites, their first defeat against Amalekites. And so their first battle, overwhelming victory. Their second battle, humiliating defeat. What made the difference? Numbers 14, 42 tells us, God was not with them. They, they may have even tried to replicate their previous victory uh, against the Amalekites. They remember, hey, Moses was standing on the hill, uh, and then we won, you know. Maybe we go to the highest point of the hill country, then we also win. Uh, but that didn't work. Because God was not with them. It was not his battle. It was their own battle. So friends, if the battle is the Lord's, there will be victory. You can count on it. If the battle is the Lord's, there will be victory. If it is just our battle without God, don't count on winning. Uh, there are many battles going on today. Physical wars, financial battles, battles for ideology. Of course, Malaysia going through its own intense political battles. And so the question is, out of all these battles that are going on in our lives around us, which of these battles are the Lord's battles? Is it the battle for English as the primary medium of education? Is it the battle for an efficient and competent civil service? Is it the battle for our ringgit to raise in value? Is it the battle for maybe freedom of speech or the right to demonstrate? Is it the battle for a stable democracy? Is it the battle for religious freedom? Is it the battle against injustices and corruption? Now, all these are good things to pray for. All these are things that we have been praying for. And while it's certainly not wrong to pray for God's blessings in specific ways for our nation and our own personal situation, I just want us to consider this question. Which of these are the Lord's battles? Which of these are the Lord's battles? And my second follow-up question is, how do you know? How do you know? Now, of course, there are some things that are very clear. Things like battles against corruption. Things like battles against uh, injustice. Things like battles for the ability to choose Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Very, very clear. Those are indeed the Lord's battles. Is who he is, is what he stands for. But there are some things that you need to ask God. Is this really where you are working? 
is this what you want me to be praying for right now? Or should my prayer life be focused somewhere else at this point? My point, friends, is that even amidst political uncertainty and turmoil, even if things don't turn out the way we hope, even if things go outside of our expectation, we need not be overly anxious or distressed. Why? Because God is still in control. He is still good. He still provides what we need. Uh, when we wake up tomorrow, when we wake up next week, God is still in control. God is still good. God still provides what we need. He desires justice to flow down like waters and righteousness like an everlasting stream. All those things about God does not change. Our situation, our political situation may change. Our nation's rulers may shift about. Our financial situation may fluctuate. But God is still in control. He's still good. He still provides. He still desires justice, righteousness. So friends, don't be overly anxious. Pray, yes. Use your, nervous, your, your nerves and the excitement that you're feeling to pray, but don't worry. And so we are guaranteed that if the battle is the Lord's and not merely our own desires or our own expectations, there will be victory. But did you ever wonder, why did God make Moses do this hand-lifting thing? Why go through the trouble of putting the, the, the fate of a people and the fate of a battle in the physical ability of an 80-year-old man? <laughs> Why? Why not just do uh, infinity gauntlet snap? Uh, all the Amalekites gone. Okay, for those too old to know what an infinity gauntlet is, why not just do a bippity-boppity-boo, okay? And then no more Amalekites. Now, the reason is, although the battle is the Lord's, we still have a part to play in that battle. We still have a part to play in God's battles. Or, as Experiencing God, reality number three puts it, those of you who remember, lah, say it with me, God invites you to become involved with Him in His work. Everybody forgot already. Uh, okay, let me repeat that. God invites you to become involved with Him in His work. One reason God used Moses that way was also to affirm that Moses was His chosen instrument. In Exodus 17 verse 4, the people were blaming Moses. They are getting ready to stone him. They are saying that, hey, we don't want this leader. He's leading us into these horrible things. We, we want to get rid of him and choose our own leader. Lah. And so, God showed the Israelites that he can bring victory with this old man. By the way, all these old men, old men, I'm not talking about Matea. I'm talking about Moses. Okay? <laughs> Moses. Because he was 80 years old. All right? Uh, God wanted to show them he can bring victory through Moses and the staff. So Moses had his part to play in this battle. Now, I'm sure he's also praying, lah, okay? He's also praying. But his role specifically was to hold high the banner of the Lord, the staff of God, for the Israelites to see that God's providence, his intervention, was at work. 
But Moses wasn't the only one involved in this battle. Who else was involved? You have Joshua and his army of the Israelite men that he chose. They were also involved. So we see here a balance between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. While God is always at work, He does use us in that work. For whatever divine reasons He may have, He wants to use fallible uh, humans who are capable of great blunders in partnership with His work. Oftentimes, it is more for our own benefit than for His. Now, how so? When we are part of God's work, we put our faith into practice, right? When we are joining God in, do, in something that He's doing, uh, we are saying, yes, I believe that God wants to do that. I believe that God is able to do that, and so I will join Him in faith. We are exercising our faith. We are putting it to practice, not just saying, yes, I believe God, you count him. If you don't count him, means, you know, your fault. <laughs> okay, so we put our faith into practice. And we come to know him better when we see him at work, when we see him at work around us, when we see him at work through us or in us. We come to know him even better. It improves our relationship with him. So God doesn't need us to be part of his battles but we need to be part of his battles. Let me repeat that. God doesn't need us to be part of his battles. We need to be part of his battles for our own sake and for the sake of those that God wants us to affect. So there is a balance between active and, uh, uh, an active and a passive approach to faith. We don't run ahead of God to try and do things for Him and, oh God, I think this is good, huh? this is good, this is good, this is good, and go and do uh, without knowing whether God actually wants us to do that. But neither do we sit on our hands and ignore His invitation to play our part and say, uh, God, you want to do, you do. Lah. I, I just watch. Now, who else was involved? Moses, Joshua and army. We also have Aaron and her, okay? Uh, the supporting cast. Now, you have to remember that it's also not easy for them. They are holding up a hand all day. Each of them are holding one hand all day, okay? You try, you do this all day, already tiring. You try and do this, holding somebody's hand for the whole day, you also get tired, okay? But Together, they shared the load, okay? They shared the weight of the staff. Uh, Moses' load, at least, was 67% lighter because of Aaron and her. And so, we don't know if uh, Aaron or her were also praying for Moses or whether they were also praying for the battle, but what is clear is that they were supporting, they were helping Moses. And so directly or indirectly, we all have a part to play. Last week, it was mentioned, second service, third service, I can't remember if it was mentioned at the first service. It takes a lot of people to run a worship service. At any given week, there are, what, 30 to 40 people involved in the process of uh, getting the service going, a worship service going. 
going. Okay, and so you have the people you see up front. You have the preacher, you have the liturgist, uh, you have the, the musicians. And then you have a lot of people you don't see. Uh, you have the person preparing the bulletin, Angeline. Uh, you have the AV crew. You have the ushers. You have the finance stewards who will count the money afterwards. Uh, you have those who prepare for the Holy Communion when we celebrate Holy Communion. Uh, you have people who lock up after the service or open the doors before the service. Lots of people involved, all right? And so, all are important in order to have a well-run worship service. I, I can assure you that if the AV people totally uh, didn't turn up, it's going to be very distracting, right? Suddenly scramble, oh no, how do we sing? What lyrics do we use? Do we have enough hymnals? Pass around, share. Okay, uh, if suddenly the, the musician is sick and we all sing a cappella, off-key, uh, <laughs> distracting. Okay, so all are important for a well-run worship service. And so, friends, we have a part to play in the Lord's battles, whether it is directly or indirectly. Okay, you may ask me, fine, I know that I should have a part to play in God's battles. Let's say uh, the current crisis. How do I play my part in this battle? Let me give you two quick application points, two quick things that you can do. Firstly, the text isn't talking about prayer. We've already established that previously. But playing our part includes prayer on top of everything else that God calls us to why? Remember that the battle is the Lord's. If we are fighting His battles, He is the one who achieves victory. And so prayer is the default posture we need to always adopt in all of life's battles. Not just the big battles, not just the battles where we feel helpless. All of our battles, especially the one that our nation is going through now. Our prayers can be... Uh, our prayers can be long, it can be short, it can be corporate prayer, gather together, it can be private prayer, it can be out loud, it can be silent, it can be complicated words, it can be simple words, it doesn't matter. That's not important. What is, not import, uh, what is important is not the form, but the substance. Okay? Whether you're standing or kneeling or, or whatever, what's important is that you're actually praying. And that's why we, we exercise our faith in intercession and petition. When we pray, we are telling God, I believe you are able to do this. Lord, will you do this? Will you do what you want? Now, just very quickly, even though form is not the most important thing, huh, I would still encourage us to participate in corporate prayer. <laughs> For one simple practical reason, I was having this discussion with my wife the other day. Uh, just one very simple practical reason. And that is, when we come together, we actually pray. La. <laughs> yes, we can pray at home, but if we, didn't, if we didn't set aside the time to come together to pray, would we be praying at home? Or if we, did, if we were praying at home, would we stay awake? At least in a prayer meeting, somebody will poke you if you, if you snore. Lah, huh? So, practical reason to come and join corporate prayer. Not the only reason, but
but just one very practical reason. Come, pray together. So that's one thing that we can do to play our part, to pray. Uh, none of us can say that we cannot do this part, okay? Because we all can pray. We all have a relationship with God. We are all qualified to pray. You don't need a, a theological degree. You don't need to be ordained. You don't need to be a church leader. As long as you have a relationship with God, you call yourself a Christian, a believer, you can pray. Second thing you can do, be part of the solution, not the problem. Now, obviously, this applies to our country's current political situation, but this also applies to your battles in your family, your battles in your school, your company, your small group, your church. If you clearly know that the battle is the Lord's, then do what you can to fight in the ways that you know how, in ways that are consistent with who God is and what He teaches. Okay? For example, for those still in school, uh, nobody in school already here. Lah. <laughs> okay, never mind. Uh, for example, if you, if you know that there are racial tensions in this country, then if your friends are contributing to this racial tension, talking about this race, that race, this race, no good, uh, that race, useless, uh, this race, better, no, 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 like that, then rather than joining in on that racist gossip, speak up, say something. Say, eh la, we're not right for you to say that la. They also created in the image of God, ma. Huh? <laughs> okay, so don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. This may seem like oversimplifying things, uh, but often the temptation is just to, show, just to follow the majority and be part of the problem because they are louder, because it is simpler. Just like the ten spies who gave that bad report about Canaan and say, Behel it's easier to just follow the majority. So in light of the current political situation, other than praying, do what you can to be part of the solution, not the problem. I cannot spell it out for you specifically what you can do, but you ask God what you can do. Okay? In conclusion, know that the Lord is the one who wins his battles. He fights for justice and righteousness. He fights for the plight of the fatherless and the widow. He is the one who wins his battles. We don't have to despair when we desire his purposes, whether it's for ourselves, our nation, or others around us, because God is in control of the battle. Believe that you have a part to play in God's battles. None of us are exempt from being used by God for His purposes. None of us are too incompetent. None of us are too insignificant. If God can use an ordinary stick to become the staff of God, if God can use a, a, a donkey <laughs> to talk and uh, do His purposes, He can use us. And do your part in the battle. Pray and whatever else. Be part of the solution, not the problem. On top of praying, ask God how, uh, what your part is, how you can obey Him faithfully. Okay. Now, we also just entered into the season of Lent. 
we draw nearer to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And so our banner today is not the staff of Moses. It is the cross of Jesus. And so Jesus is victorious. And as we rally around him, we are guaranteed the greatest victory of all, overcoming the power of death. Even when there is personal, national, global chaos, we have already overcome the power of sin and death. So may we all gain comfort and confidence from the Lord our banner. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>